Karlsson, Karlsson, hoj här kommer Karlsson Karlsson, Karlsson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Karlsson Karlsson, 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 I'm Elon Dubrovsky, and with me once again to break it all down, your good friend and mine, Brian Com. Welcome back, Brian. Thanks, Elon. It's great to be back in the exact same place where we finished part one. About to move on to the next place, which you mentioned is Ottawa. But just a, a quick thought is that, you know, on the last episode for part one, we were talking so much about how it's kind of a downer and how or I was being a downer and that I'm not expecting anybody to really improve their fantasy value of any of the players we've talked about so far. And I was like, okay, is this unique to this year? So I've sort of been scrolling through free agents signed in past years being like, did, is, is there something I'm missing here? Do a lot of people cha- who change teams and we know it's a bit of a flag when a player is playing in a new team, new system, new coach, new teammates, all of that can throw a player off. And I'm, so who have been the exceptions and can we learn anything from this? And I'm looking at the 2021 UFA class and I'm seeing a lot of players. And I think the one player who really benefited was Zach Hyman. I think there, there's one of many UFA. But even Zach Hyman, like had a really great year in Toronto the year before. Yeah. Did he really do that much better in last year than the year before? I think he kind of stayed the same for the most part. Um, I, I'm going to, Bring up his numbers now. He had a yeah. He actually paced for fewer points, but he had a yeah. <laughs> yeah he had a bigger power play role, which is what I was thinking of. Uh, so he played really well at five on five in Toronto. So yeah, his fortunes didn't substantially increase, but he was the best one that I could come up with. And then uh, uh, looking at the 2020 class, there's still a, a lot of guys. It's just a lot of guys who I'm like, I'm not sure anyone who changed teams actually got better. Some of the bigger names in 2020, Tori Krug, uh, Tyler Toffoli, Evgeny Dodonov, uh, who went to Ottawa, for what it's worth. Kem Talbot went to Minnesota. Oh, the times have changed. Uh, uh, Taylor, Taylor Hall. Hall. That yeah. was huge yeah. when he went to Buffalo to play with Eichel. That worked out so well. And, <laughs> and we thought at the time, like we were excited. We were ready to be excited, but we keep learning time and time again. And I think maybe Elon, while we're talking, and not to spoil the rest of this episode, because we're still going to look to find the player that could thrive, and also all the fantasy impacts around the player who's been moved, but this is maybe just a note. It's like, okay, signed a contract, signed a UFA contract last season, I'm going to temper my expectations because it's really rare. I'm not going to expect anything new and exciting and extravagant to happen. At best, they'll keep up what they were doing with their old team. At worst, well, things could go horribly wrong. In uh, 2019, Artemi Panarin signed with the Rangers. That worked out pretty well. That, that was did a good work one. out really well. 
<laughs> but yeah, you're right. Yeah, so something to keep in mind. Well, also, these are usually players. The biggest name players are players like, you know, entering their 30s, like Johnny Gaudreau as well, like 29. So it's like usually that's players coming off their peak. Now they're cashing in. And yeah, you expect a bit of a decline. So I think, I well, we, we already agreed, right? Gaudreau's not going to be as good probably as he was last year. Um, we'll see how the players around him do. But okay, so with that in mind, let's go to the next big UFA signing, which is over in Ottawa. We were just talking about Philly and about how they got D'Angelo. Of course, getting D'Angelo doesn't even come close to replacing the uh, impact that Claude Giroux has had on this team for the past, like, what, decade plus. And so Giroux obviously was already gone. He went to Florida uh, at the trade deadline, and he did really well on the Panthers. Now he comes to the Ottawa Senators, who've had such an insanely busy offseason. Pierre Dorian, just delighting fans all over Sens Nation. Everyone I talk to is just like, oh, I love Dorian. He's the best. Uh, we already talked about the uh, them acquiring Alex Debrinkit on our impromptu show when you visited me uh, a couple weekends ago, but since then that was just not that was just the start. Since then they okay, I'll tell you all the moves Ottawa's made. They traded Matt Murray to Toronto uh, with a third, and and they retained twenty five percent of his contracts. They got him off the books, and then they traded their other goalie Philip Gustafsson uh, to get Cam Talbot in. So that cements a Talbot and Anton Forsberg tandem. So we'll definitely talk about that. Then they signed Claude Giroux three years, nineteen point five mil. Which I think is pretty good, right? It's like not a lot, not one of these crazy long-term, uh, you know, UFA contracts that's going to be on the books forever. Three years, okay? I like it. Uh, they traded Connor Brown to Washington for a 2024 second, which is kind of like I thought Connor Brown is good, but also Ottawa's got such a stacked top six that, like, I don't know, maybe he they don't need to pay him as a bottom sixer. And then they also extended Josh Norris, eight years at 63.6 mil total. So of course we've got lots to cover here, uh, but. I guess let's start with Giroux, right? He now completes a very scary top six. We got Kachuk, Batherson, Norris, Stutzla, Debrinkit, and now Claude Giroux. Like, I have no idea how these lines will shake out, but I feel like you can't go wrong with these six players. Uh, Giroux had 42 points in 57 games while he was on Philly last season. Then he took it up a notch, 23 points in 18 games in Florida, playing primarily with Bennett and Huberdeau, which are good line mates. Huberto's amazing. He's probably better than all these people in Ottawa, but it's not like such a huge downgrade, I don't think, with the two guys he's going to be playing with in Ottawa. Uh, so yeah, when you look at the season overall, he had a 70-point pace, including 23 power play points. While the signing is obviously exciting for the Sens, Brian, is this good news or bad news for the 34-year-old Claude Giroux? Like, I feel like on one hand, he's going to play with great players. On the other, is there like enough power play time when I used to go around? Though on the other, he's Claude Giroux. Of course, he's going to be on the top power play, but who's he bumping? On another hand, Florida had a lot of talented players around. He still seemed to do really well, so maybe it doesn't matter how many great players they are. So what do you think, Brian? over under that 70 point pace from last season what's he gonna do next year i'm gonna easily take the under elon and not not to be a total wet blanket here but i think you're hitting so the, surprising the nail on the head that power play deployment is gonna be huge for Giroux. one of the reasons he had a 70 point pace last season was because he got to florida after having nine power play points in 57 games as a flyer he got to florida and put up the same amount of power play points nine in just 18 games. So he had a power play point every other game in Florida on average. And that's obviously not going to quite hold in Ottawa. In fact, I, I hope, like I said, this is a huge part of Giroux's game. It always has been. You know, in the few years recently, he has been downgraded in power play time on ice, but has still managed 20, 25 power play point paces to help fuel him to about a 65-70 point pace overall. But if Giroud lands on a second power play unit, or even a like power play 1B, 
That means he could lose 10 to 15 power play points, which with very simple math puts him down to a 55-ish point pace, which is very far from the 70 you're setting the over-under at. I think the over-under would be better set at like 60, 65. You know, I think that would be a closer one. I think it, an even better one, if I'm going to allow myself to be a fully wet blanket, would be 62 and a half. Something around there would be the the right over-under for Claude Giroux in his age 34 season. The good news about Giroux is he is still very good. Like, he's been very consistent for the better part of the last many years. That's really positive. He's not declining. He's not falling off. He's been a really good hockey player and isn't showing any sign of like a huge slowdown, which is great. That's what you want to see as the players entering their age 34 season. But this is really just going to come down to power play deployment. I I think Giroud can get 60 points. I think he can have a good year. But whether or not you're really happy with him on your team uh, was going to completely depend on how much power play time Giroud gets. Well, if Sharu's so awesome on the power play and Ottawa just signed him, like, why won't they just put him on the power play? Like, I know that he's going to a team with, like, lots of good players, but that was the same situation in Florida, right? That was also a team with a ton of good players, and they still found a way to fit Giroux in there. So, uh, I don't know, Brian. I think that uh, I, I, I could see him hitting 70 and maybe more. Like, I think he's an awesome player. He's in a great situation. I see this as being a lot more like the Florida situation than, like, the Philly situation, and he did great on Florida. Yeah, maybe he, like, produced a little bit higher than he should have. Like you said, like, a power play point every game. But also he was like well above a 70 point pace in Florida. He was like a 100 point pace in Florida. So I don't know. I think I'm happy with my 70. I don't know if I'm going over 70, but I think right around there. I, I think it's gonna be great. I think he's gonna be really good. I, I really hope so. I like I would love for you to be right. I just uh, if the power play minutes are there, Elon, then I think he can get there. So I love your optimism that they're going to be there all season long. I agree. One of the reasons you bring in Claude Giroux is to be on your top power play. But like the the obvious question is who does he displace? Like Kachuk is I think a lock on the top unit along with Norris and Debrinket. And so if you have Giroux ahead of Batherson and Stutzla, which you you very well could, then he's on the top unit. Or Adwa splits them into two 1A 1B units and that hurts Giroux's numbers overall. Yeah. Like there's just a lot there's there's more ways this could go wrong than right, and so that's why I'm feeling apprehensive. Yeah, that's fair. It's a risk, and maybe we'll learn more in training camp. Uh, but yeah, I think I would probably expect Giroud to get power play priority over like Batherson and Stutzla, like you said. Uh, but of course, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, in general, then, like, I mean, I don't really want to go back. We already in our last episode talked about like all the other five guys in that top six. Uh, so unless, Brian, you have any like big changes in your thoughts on them now that Giroud comes in, I will point out one big loser to Ottawa, like bringing in all these guys. Remember at the end of last season, how Matthew Joseph got acquired from Tampa Bay and was like on the top line like producing pretty well like obviously that's over like I don't think he was supposed to be like a top line player like if Ottawa wants to actually be a contending team you don't want Matthew Joseph on your top line but uh, yeah he's someone that maybe would have been a good late pick based on what he did last year but now obviously an afterthought but nice for the sense to have players you're there's still need to have some players in the bottom six right and then over in net okay so we now are looking at cam talbot and we're looking at anton forsberg and i was calling forsberg my like sleeper goalie pick for next season i was super excited for him after ottawa you know got to brink it that's of course completely out the window now like forget everything i said about anton forsberg because uh talbot's coming off a solid season in minnesota where he put up a 9-11 save percentage of 49 games which was by by the way, a tear down from what Forsberg did. Forsberg had a 9 and 17 save percentage, but still, like, I find it hard to believe that Forsberg's going to get more starts than Talbot next year. I think at best for him, it's like 50 50. 
to me, this looks like a 1A, 1B situation with Talbot as the 1A. And then, like, maybe, obviously, Forsberg could have the opportunity to, like, usurp him. But, uh, yeah, I'll forget all of my Forsberg. Like, I'm happy for the Sens to have two, like, solid goalies. But uh, forget everything I said about Anton Forsberg being a valuable piece in fantasy next year. I, I don't even think I would draft him. This hurts Forsberg for sure. I, I think the one reason to remain optimistic about Forsberg is that in the last three years, he's outplayed cam talbot and it's not to say forsberg has been amazing he was great last year but overall in uh, in about half half the time that talbot's played forsberg has basically matched his expected fenwick save percentage whereas cam talbot has fallen five points short of it so basically a 945 goalie uh, fenwick save percentage versus a 950 fenwick save percentage that would have been expected from an average goalie so talbot uh, again he's play- played twice as many games as forsberg Heavier workload might have impacted his ability to perform, but I really think that Forsberg could emerge as the 1A here, or even number one. You know how I don't have a lot of faith in Cam Talbot. And the last goalie in Minnesota that was well-protected there that I didn't have a lot of faith in was Devin Dubnik, right? Year after year, I was like, this guy gets such great protection from his team, covers up a lot of his flaws, put him behind any other team, and I think he's going to struggle. And he did. Now, Talbot hasn't been as bad as... I saw Dubnik appearing in Minnesota, but I think he might be in for a bit of a surprise as he heads to Ottawa, while Forsberg is familiar with the workload and work that's going to be asked of him. So I would still, if I'm drafting, it's funny. Like, I think Ottawa is going to want both guys to succeed. I think there's reasons for them to want Talbot. They traded for him. They're paying him more. But they also want Forsberg, who's someone they made a a small bet on and are actually going to hang on to i don't know if you remember but at the trade deadline last year forsberg one of the only reasons ottawa was said to have forsberg on the roster was to flip him and they had the opportunity to flip him and they held him and i think that says something about where they think he could play and they also just sent away philip gustafson who was their closest goalie prospect to playing in the nhl which i think is another vote of confidence in what they've seen from anton forsberg whether they're right or wrong not sure but there's still reasons to believe that Forsberg could be the number one in Ottawa, even with Cam Talbot around. But Elon, I agree that it does take a big bite out of his fancy value as someone who could have been a volume starter on a team that might rack up a bunch of wins. Yeah, like maybe Forsberg is better, but I don't think he's like better enough to be like a volume starter now. Like clearly like Talbot's going to play some games. So yeah, like Ivy, we talked about this on the last patron cast, I believe, like just or maybe it was on our last show we did. Like the NHL is just having more and more tandems. Like throw Ottawa on the list, another team with a tandem. Like and, and so like that's going to make our like sure volume starters for next year all the more valuable. I thought Forsberg would have been like a sneaky volume guy that maybe wouldn't be on people's radars. Now I think Ottawa at be- like yeah, I'm not so excited about drafting Talbot either, right? Like I think I would he's not someone I would leave undrafted because I think he'll like start game one but I yeah like uh neither of them are people that are going to be ranking too high in Schmore goalies board we're going to probably have our you know usually in Schmore goalies board when we're making our goalie tiers we usually have like good tandems and then kind of bad tandems that are like two separate tiers and I feel like both of those tiers are going to have like half the goalies in the league because uh like speaking of which let's follow Matt Murray to Toronto where it looks like he's going to be in a tandem himself 
for as long as he can be healthier. I don't know. Obviously, he's hoping that he can, you know, finally uh, become a starter again. But Murray had that one great one month run last year, starting around late January, where he was lights out for it was only six straight games, a glorious six straight games where he did so well. But yeah, overall, he only played 20 games on the season. And even with that great run, he only managed a 906 save percentage in those 20 games. That just goes to show how badly he played in those other 14 games. Uh, So he'll be joined in my hometown in Toronto by Ilya Samsonov, a former, another like hype. These are like, like five years ago. If you told me that Toronto would have Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov, I'd be like, what? Like the two top like goalie prospects. Anyway, Samsonov, former 22nd overall pick by Washington, really pooped the bed last year. 896 save percentage in 44 games. Uh, This like Washington had Vanacek and they left him unprotected and he got taken by Seattle and then they like got him back and then Vanacek ended up like taking over for Samsonov because Samsonov couldn't cement the job which clearly Washington was ready to give him if he had been ready so now the Leafs get a reclamation project here they get him for only one year 1.8 million so not a big risk the big risk to Toronto is that they only have two years Brian did you realize this it's in two years from now Austin Matthews will become a UFA like this window with Matthews has two seasons left and now they're putting their fate for the potential remainder of this window in these two goalies who both have like high pedigrees could be good but haven't given us any recent reason for confidence that they could be relied upon like both of them couldn't totally just go belly up this season and Toronto would be in a lot of trouble. It's a scary situation for Leafs fans. But hey, you know, on the plus side, I thought Carolina was taking a huge risk last year with Anderson and Ranta as their tandem. And that worked out just fine. So, Brian, uh, first of all, what do you think of Dubas's gamble here? And then, of course, for fantasy purposes, any educated guess for who, if either of these guys, will be worth targeting in fantasy drafts next season between Murray and Samsonov? I feel... <laughs> I'm trying, Elon, to say you should... Like, it's hard because you want to target the Toronto goalie. But both of them might not be... Like, it could be an Ottawa situation. I don't... I Like, I really... I'm trying to read the situation here, Elon. And I I can't be that optimistic. I feel it's going to be very similar to both what we saw in Ottawa last year with Matt Murray and what we saw with Ilya Samsonov last year in Washington. I don't know that either are going to turn over a new leaf. I, I'm interested in what the Leafs are trying to do in grabbing these reclamation projects, but that is exactly what they are. And to pretend otherwise would be misguided. Uh, Ilya Samsonov, he's been similar to Cam Talbot the last three years, which is to say, uh, you know, not not great. Uh, he's underperforming his expected Fenwick save percentage, so not as good as what you'd expect an average NHL goalie to do, which is a bummer. But the pedigree is still there, and maybe, you know, I don't know who the Leafs goaltending coach is, actually. Maybe that person is the X factor in all this. They're going to coach these goalies into the players that they were always supposed to become. So Samsonov, comparable to Cam Talbot. Matt Murray, comparable to someone even worse. Uh, Matt Murray's expected Fenwick save percentage at five on five the last three years, 941, his actual mark, 931. And that's really bad to fall 10 points short of your expected save percentage. Like that's very, very bad territory. So the Leafs have their work cut out for them. I like that they're rolling the dice. They kind of didn't have any any other option. Like I'm looking at the 2022 UFA goalies. I mean, Kemper and Campbell were too expensive. And then the rest of the crew... Martin Jones, 
Eric Comrie, Yarrow Halak, Kevin Langan. Huso. Huso was out there, but he went for a lot of money also. Oh, right. Huso went, right. So sorry. He's in the too expensive category. I will say, and there's no, there's no point in me really saying this, but there are two players, two goalies out there who I would have been interested to see uh, the Leafs roll the dice on. And those are Charlie Lindgren and um, Alex Lyon. Who've both come looked, on? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's insane because there's no point in me saying any of this because Alex Lyon isn't even going to be in NHL next year, and Charlie Lindgren is backing up Darcy Kemper, who's going to be a workhorse in Washington. Okay, let me be clear. I, can't I was be laughing right about, about this. Okay. I was uh, laughing about Alex Lyon. I, I, I'm actually also a little bit into Charlie Lindgren, and we'll talk about him when we get to the Cavs. But Alex Lyon, that I did not expect you to say that name. I thought maybe you'd say like Kevin Lankinen or something. I didn't. Alex I didn't Lyon, expect Alex Lyon to come out of your mouth. Very limited. We've talked about him on the show in very limited time in the nhl has looked good he's looked good he's just never been given an extended look which really okay. stinks and I, I want him to get that look uh, uh he's not gonna well anyway it. yeah it's gonna be murray and so samsonov where, where does this all come down for murray and samsonov's fancy value i don't know elon i'm gonna ask you actually how would you rank murray samsonov forsberg and talbot and you're allowed to say it's a wash like they're all the same but i'm curious to know if you have any slightly above the others okay no i'm i'll do a ranking okay this is the way i play fantasy like i like to take some risks with my goals i'm like the leafs actually like what dubas did i don't know if i would do it if i was the gm of the leafs just because uh, you know, like that's a really big risk to take and they could end up with nothing. But in fantasy, unlike in the NHL, there's usually some go- random goalie that shows up in UFA where you can like maybe, or I think UFA here in free agency, you know, you guys know how fantasy hockey works, right? So, and so, you know, even if you don't draft an amazing goalie, maybe you have another opportunity. Like Anton Forsberg last year was someone that was available in free agency all over and he ended up being like an MVP for me in the cupful. So the way I would play is I would definitely draft Matt Murray first of the four of them, because while you're right, Brian, that his Fenwick's like everything terrible, right? He's been brutal. I think he's a goalie that clearly is like, has the, the skills, you know, like he has the raw skills and it's more like, I think he's a head game. And I think what you said was very apt about how this all comes down to the Toronto goalie coach, like being able, well, and also Murray's health. So Toronto's trainer and goalie coach, hopefully they get the best of the best to get Matt Murray in shape, to not get hurt and to like get out of his head and play the way that we've seen him be capable of. So he's the guy I would take a swing on and plus whatever so you draft him you'll get him late and then if he gets hurt you throw him in your ir if he stinks you drop him you know like all four of these guys are people that i wouldn't draft high enough that i'd be so worried that i just have to drop him like i don't want to rely on one of these people they're not my like number one goalie in fantasy so i'm gonna take murray first then i'll take talbot because i think he's gonna start for ottawa at least to start the season even though i kind of agree with you that forsberg seems better but i think they'll play talbot and then i'll go samsonov and forsberg like equal actually like i don't know i think maybe i'll go samsonov just because i'm more confident that murray will get injured or be terrible than talbot so samsonov has a better chance to like take over as the starter so yeah that's my order and it murray what, and at what point yeah. are you going to take the the risk on murray as the top guy in your group like would you say when you're drafting 60 60 point forward <laughs> 65 point forward no 55 like, well point the way forwards? i play is it's tiering, right? Like the way I do a, I guess if it's an auction draft, it's a little different. If it's a snake draft, I sort of will have my goalie tiers. And like once I see that there's no goalies that I think have the upside that Murray has, that's when I would take him. It's not about like among which forwards. It's like which goalies kind of are left, if that makes And he'll be pretty far down the list, right? Like uh, we'll have to, we'll do a more goalies board episode and we'll talk through the goalies. But I'm not like, yeah, I'm taking Murray at a point where if I, 
like if he ends up being a bust, it's not killing me, right? I'm not gonna be like, oh man, I could have drafted, I could have drafted Claude Giroux, but I took Matt Murray. Like (laughs) that's not gonna happen. Yeah. Okay. So stay. So you're saying like you got to be careful with any of these guys, but that's the one you take the the chance on if you could have one of them. I mean, my heart wants to say Anton Forsberg, but I understand that's not reasonable. I, I yeah. I think I, you should follow your heart, Brian, because last yeah. year you were talking about Jake Ottinger and saying how you think he's the best on Dallas, and I was like, Brian, you can't take a we can't rank a goalie more goalies board that's going to start in the minors. He can't be, an, and you were like, I just have a feeling. But I thought and he, he was turned so out to be right. But he was going to be so much better than what Dallas had, and I don't know that, as you said, Forsberg is going to be that. By the way, for anyone following, the Leafs do have a new goaltending coach this year, Curtis Sanford, former NHLer. Uh, they had a Steve Briere was their goaltending coach for the last seven years. Stinks to be him, but he's already gotten a new job with Seattle. So, ooh, he's got his work cut out for him. <laughs> yeah, like uh, you know what? Now we'll see if he's like. It's a great chance for him. He's Seattle's reclamation project. Maybe he can prove that hey, he wasn't the problem in Toronto by fixing Grubauer. This is a wow. this is Steve Briere's time to shine. And if you love Steve Briere. Was it Briere? Briere. Steve Bri- if you love Steve, if you believe in Steve Briere, then maybe you draft Grubauer. I'd probably take Grubauer over Matt Murray. Like I'll still, I'll give a chance to Grubauer I would for too. next year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I guess we should move on. I, I'll, let me throw a random Leafs name at you before we go. Remember last year how like there was all these random guys who would get a shot in the top six, and we talk about like your Mikhaevs, who's gone now. Andre Kasha, who's gone now. So here's the new name, a longtime uh, fan of ours. Wait, that's not how you say it. A longtime person that we've been a fan on on the podcast. Like we mentioned him at least once or twice this season. Callie Yarncroft is a UFA that the Leafs signed uh, four years, 2.1 AAV. I could see him getting in the top six at some point, playing with like a Tavares and a Nylander type situation. So he's someone, I'm not saying like you have to draft him, but I'm saying he's someone that will get some play on keeping Carlson throughout the season as Toronto you know, throws out the line blender. What do you think of that? You like like Yarncroc? Yeah, I like Yarncroc there, especially since there is a possibility that like the Leafs are over the cap right now, and I'm not totally up to speed on what their plan is to get under it. But Alex Kerfoot could be part of that plan. So if he if he does get sent off, then Yarncroc can maybe uh, slide in to that second line a little a little more easily. But yeah, he's someone honestly, Elon for. There's been enough years that we've been like, oh, Young Crow's getting an opportunity, and then he doesn't do much with it. And he also doesn't take a lot of shots either, historically. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to get too excited about him, but I, I think he's more like a, a Kasha than a, than a Mikhaev. Is that fair? And that means worse? Yes. <laughs> okay. Mikhaev, he went to Vancouver. So I don't know if we'll get to him on this episode, but we'll, we'll definitely have to discuss if we think he's going to have an impact there. But let's keep with the plan we had, which is to move on from Toronto and go to Ilya Samsonov's old home. So we're going to talk next about the impacts over in Washington. But uh, we'll do that in just a sec, because I think it's time for a little break. You're listening to Keeping Carlson. Okay, we are back. And like I said, Brian, I want to go next to the Washington Capitals, who not only gave up on Ilya Samsonov, but they also traded Vitek Vanacek to the Devils for a second round pick, or I guess a second round upgrade. They sent a pick and got a better pick and then also got a third. So whatever. Basically, they gave Vanacek away. Uh, And to fill the void in net, they signed Stanley Cup champion Darcy Kemper to a five-year, five-mil-plus 
per year contract. They also signed the previously mentioned Charlie Lindgren to a three-year, $3.3 million deal to be the backup. And by the way, Lindgren, he had a strong season last year in Springfield of the AHL. He had a 925 save percentage. He had a, that amazing stint in St. Louis. He played five games, won all five of them while Bennington and Huso were hurt with a 958 save percentage. So I think good for Lindgren to earn himself, uh, you know, a one-way NHL contract for three years after like some being someone that I just assumed was like out of the league forever. Like remember he was a Habs prospect and when Carey Price would get injured, it seemed like they would like lose every game with Lindgren and now good for him. So we'll see how he works out in Washington. But of course the big name here is Darcy Kemper. Uh, Brian, what do you think about Kemper as a cap? Like last year people were drafting him super high after he signed with the Avs. And while he struggled at first and seemed like a bust, I recall us doing like a mid season episode talking about how big of a bust he was by the end he was great right he had a really strong regular season overall like 921 save percentage was definitely a key part of mike couple winning team uh and then in the playoffs he was good enough to win the stanley cup so now he goes to washington do you think he's someone that you would draft just as high like next year on washington as you would have if he was still on colorado no i don't i like and that's not a knock on darcy kemper that's just you're moving from colorado a team that is a favorite to win every single night to Washington, who's still a, a pretty formidable squad, but they're not Colorado. And they also, you know, we'll see what kind of protection Washington can offer Kemper, because actually, if you're looking at expected goals against per 60 minutes at five on five last season, uh, they were pretty equal, Colorado and Washington, in how quality they were in preventing chances from their team, both top 10 teams in the league. So that's promising for Darcy Kemper that he's not going to see, uh, he might potentially not see a, a more difficult workload. Of course, he might have less run support and that might lead to fewer wins. So I'd be worried about that. But if you're looking at Darcy Kemper on the whole, I think you're still interested as one of very few, we've been talking about this on our discourse server, there are fewer and fewer workhorse goalies available in the NHL these days. And I think this contract makes Kemper likely to stay as one of them, although the aforementioned Charlie Lindgren could be breathing down his neck before long if things don't go right. But Washington has a lot invested in this guy, and I think they're going to give Kemper a lot of chances to succeed. Yeah, I'm, I'd am i be pretty excited to draft Darcy Kemper. Like, he's the kind of goalie that I'd like to, you know, I'm not going to, like, spend, like, a top pick. At this point, maybe I would actually use a really high pick on Vasilevsky Shesterkin. But, like, if I can't get one of them, then probably I'm going to pass on a lot of the goalies that go next. Then maybe would end up grabbing, like, well, I got Kemper last year, actually, after a lot of goalies got taken in the auction draft. Uh, so, yeah, I, I could see myself landing with him again, and I'd be pretty happy with that. Brian, like, uh, about a month, I think this was on the last Patreon cast for sure. Like, at one point, there was a question that led to me just like coming up with a shmore goalies board tiers just off the top of my head just of the goalies who had uh you know like we knew where they would be and i had like one tier with like a sorokin ottinger frederick anderson and hellebuck and then like the next tier was like binnington leonard merzlikens gibson jari like which of those groups do you think kemper fits in more with to you that top group or the second group i would put kemper in yeah, I, I honestly, I think he falls, you know, like we were doing half tiers for a while. He kind of falls in between because I don't think Kemper is as difficult to beat as Ettinger and Hellebuck and you know, doesn't play for teams that plays defensively as Anderson and Sorokin, who are both good goalies in their own rights, too. Uh, so I think, you know, I look at Bennington and Leonard and Merzlikens and Gibson and Jari, and I see great upside, but I also see the potential for downside and things to go wrong. And that's... That's where I see Darcy Kemper. So I think he belongs more in tier four than tier three. 
Yeah, that makes sense. Though I think I'd maybe have him at the top of that tier four at this point. And then, okay, yeah. let's look at the Caps forwards. I feel like a lot of people like to talk about how the Caps are like done. You know, a lot of times we were chatting on our Discord and team, people are asking like, okay, who are, you know, if the Sens are now going to potentially become a playoff team, like who are they bumping? Like who's falling out of the playoffs? And the Caps are a team that people are assuming at some point soon are going to be done, especially with both Nicholas Backstrom and Tom Wilson expected to be out to start the year. Who knows when they'll be healthy? But the Caps did make an attempt to address these uh, players leaving. They traded for Connor Brown, like we talked about. So Brian, you obviously know Connor Brown very well as a Sens pl- fan, so you can comment on what you think he brings to the team. They also signed Dylan Strom to a one-year $3.5 million deal. And we all know Strom had that great run in the second half last year with Chicago. I assume with Backstrom out, Strom is probably the front runner to center the second line. Unless, like, I don't think Lars Eller. I think Lars Eller, like, just he just sounds like a third line center, right? And that's not like saying that Strom is better than Eller. I just think like you have Eller on like the defensive third line, and then you have Dylan Strom centering a line of like could be a good line, right? What if it's like Kuznetsov and Ovechkin will be together, of course, with uh, I guess maybe Oshie or maybe like uh, Connor Sherry, and then that could leave like let's say let's say if it's with Sherry, that that was a pretty good line for a while. Sherry Kuznetsov and Ovechkin. So that would leave Dil- Dylan Strom with like Oshie and Mantha or maybe Connor Brown if you think that he fits into the top six. So I still think that Washington is like, like I think people who are like worried that Washington is about to totally fall off, like as long as Ovechkin is there and he's not showing signs of falling off and now they have a decent goalie, they still have John Carlson on deal. I think they're still going to be a decent team. And I'm curious to know like, what do you think the fantasy upside is of someone like a Dylan Strom who uh, comes in, is going to be easy to draft super late. Do you think there's upside here for him to continue what he was doing at the end of last season in Chicago. It's going to be really hard for Strom to keep that up because Strom has never struck me as a player who's really the one driving things. And this is like he was disappointing on Arizona and he ended up being disappointing in Chicago too. And his biggest successes basically came when he was playing with top tier elite talent. And that wasn't even always a guarantee that Strom can get in on production, like last year, his great runs came with Kanan to bring it uh, the years before when he was good. And even when he was bad, he was still with elite players, which I don't think he's going to get in Washington because you're one elite line mate there is Alex Ovechkin. And he's sticking with Kuznetsov unless, you know, whenever Backstrom's healthy, but we saw them stay like Backstrom stay on the second line, even with uh, even when he was healthy. The player I'm actually looking most closely at for a little fantasy bump, the newest arrival, and you mentioned him already, is Connor Brown, who was like a really serviceable top six player, and I think was probably one of the most added players in the Cupful, the Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League, kkupfl.com, uh, over the course of the season, because he, he was a really good streamer, but the sort who could stick on your roster for like a month because he kept doing enough to be worth holding on to while, say, other players got injured he wasn't a guy you rushed to drop off your roster and i think there's a decent chance like ovechkin and kuznetsov were playing with tom wilson for like the first three quarters of last season but even with a healthy tom wilson uh, he was moved to the second line for say the last 15 or so games and connor sherry as you mentioned elon was put up there which worked a little but not a lot and i actually wonder if that's a role that connor brown can fill I think there's a possibility here that Connor Brown could play with Ovechkin and Kuznetsov, which would be great for his fantasy value. Of course, don't lock it in or anything, but this is a storyline I'd be watching for for uh, Washington Capitals camp. And I think we have a Samantha Pell 
interview coming up on 32 Beats as well. So I'll be curious to hear what she has to say about Connor Brown's likelihood of getting on the top line, because I really do think it's top line or bust in Washington for fantasy value. I hear what you're saying that, like, don't leave this team for dead. They still have enough to be good enough to make the playoffs and, and contend. But I'm for as far as fantasy value goes, I'm not looking past that top line. Yeah, that's right. Someone will really have to to show it. And yeah, I just I just know that a lot of people were expecting that when it was announced that both Backstrom and Wilson will be out, they were like, oh, is it uh, Connor McMichael season? Is it Alexei Protas season? I think we might have to wait one more season. I think that they've plugged in those top six spots, at least for now, oh, barring injury, of course. Okay, so we mentioned how Vanacek got moved from the Capitals to the Devils. Let's go to New Jersey now, who were very busy themselves. Uh, looks like they're going to be rolling with a Vanacek-Blackwood tandem. They've obviously got Nico Dawes, who played a bit last year, available to come in when, I mean, sorry, if uh, Blackwood gets injured. Uh, they also traded Ty Smith away for John Marino. Uh, they signed another defenseman, Brendan Smith. So it looks like their defense pairs could be like a Hamilton and, and Siegenthaler, Severson with Graves, Marino and, and Smith. I don't know why I'm telling you all this. Just basically, I'm just trying to tell you that like I think that they could have somewhat decent defense for Vanacek, Blackwood to play in front of, assuming everyone is healthy. You know, Dougie is at 100%. Don't, don't forget, they've also got Simon Nemec and Luke Hughes on the way, but that's probably still a year away. Uh, they also signed Andre Palat to a five-year contract, $30 million per year. I'm going to go ahead and say right now, like, I'm not interested in drafting Andre Palat. Maybe he'll be good like to help the team be better defensively or something, but he's not someone I'm too excited about. But maybe Brian will disagree. Uh, what else did they do? Oh, they traded Pavel Zaka for Eric Haula. I think Haula probably just because, well, almost for sure is a third line center, right? Like you're probably going to roll. Here's my guess. Jack Hughes, Brat, and Sharon Govich. That was like such a good line. Keep them together. Then you could go with Heeshear with Mercer and Palat. And then maybe Haula with Tatar and, I don't know, Andreas Janssen. Maybe Alex Holtz gets in one of those spots. So, but anyways, it looks like it could be a pretty sweet top six. And yeah, I'm not... So Palat is good. I just don't think like for fantasies on someone I'm rushing to grab. Uh, so, Brian, first of all, is this the year where I'll finally be right in saying that I think New Jersey is going to be good? Obviously, the goaltending is a big question mark. So maybe let's start there. Let's start with the goaltending. Do you think Vanacek has a shot to run away as a starting goalie? Or do you think it's like a tandem? Or really, there's no way to know because we just don't know if Blackwood, like, he seems like they don't like him, but they've said now that they are confident to go into next season with this as the tandem. Uh, we don't know his health situation. What's your gut feeling right now in terms of, are we just going to be placing these two guys in the tandems group for yes. more goalies board? Or is there some, okay. So no, they're, they're, they're going to be in the tandems group. The funny part is Vanacek and Samsonov at all of last season for one of them to prove like, yeah, I can be the starting goalie here in Washington. What did Washington do at the end of the year? Well, after an entire year, I still remember in the last week of the season, uh, I think LaViolette was saying, uh, the coach, oh yeah, we'll see who emerges and who shows themselves that we're ready. We've been waiting for someone. We'd really love for someone to do it now. Anytime now, guys. And then they did not. And now they're both sent packing and Washington is going with two brand new goalies. And I think that speaks to what Vanacek and Samsonov have proven themselves capable of. Is there a chance they can be better than they were last year? Sure. But like I said, Washington was a pretty good defensive team and it just wasn't working with them. If I had to pick one of the two to do well based on what I saw last season, it would be Vitek Vanacek. But I would still not say that he has a, a huge advantage or any advantage really over Mackenzie Blackwood in net. So I would call them a tandem. And honestly, I would like to see Nico Dawes get 
time. Like, I, you know, I, I'm is a- Nico Dawes this year's Jake Ottinger, the one who starts in the minors, uh, will end up being the better one? That's a good one. I think he could be the best of the three. I just don't know. I mean, you, you've got to think Blackwood's going to get injured at some point. I don't know that Dawes is going to... I think Dawes is not necessarily a workhorse like Edinger is. Like, Edinger could come in and just take all the games and do well. I think Dawes plays well with enough rest, which is what we saw happen last season. He would come in, do well for a couple games, but then when he was, they kept going to him because their only other option was John Gillies, who had played terribly, uh, he fell apart. So I, I don't think it'll be quite the same. But yeah, I think it's very possible that of these three goalies, the one with the best next three years is Nico Dawes. Okay, and then regarding Andre Palat, so he's coming off, uh, just, I just wanted to get your take here. Last year, he had 49 points in 77 games, so 52-point pace, barely rosterable in like some leagues, not even two shots per game. Are we expecting the same, or do you think there's any reason to expect like an uptick uh, in his new team? Expectations are going to be high, right? Because the Devils lost out on Goudreau. Everybody was holding their breath, waiting for Goudreau, and Goudreau never came. Uh, but when you're playing on a line with Jack Hughes and Jesper Brad, I'm not sure if that's the line that Palat lands on. I'm not sure how many shots uh, he's going to be in line for adding to his totals. I think his whole career, he's been a two shot per game guy. He's played in a couple different roles in Tampa as that two shot per game guy and has always stayed that two shot per game guy. So yeah, until I see otherwise, I'm not going to expect Andre Palat to start taking a whole lot more shots. I guess my one question is whether he can fit in on the top power play, which he's only ever done once in his career, which is when Kucherov was out, right? And that's when he had this huge 70-point season for Tampa. So if there's room for Palat on the top power play in New Jersey, he's someone I could see as being the player who benefits from being with a new team. Like, this is an opportunity for him to break out of that 50-point mold and enter a 60-plus point mold if he can be on that top unit, which I don't know, it's hard to tell. It's if possible. There's, if there's room for there's Hughes and there's Brat for sure and his year. His year. And then you've got room for one more. So it's going to be Palat or Sharangovich. Maybe Dawson Mercer gets a look. I think Palat, I feel like he might have the inside track on that. Also, yeah, he could be kind of like a net front type guy, right? On the top power play. Uh, whenever I always get in trouble when I try to like dig into like who's playing where. Well, he's never, <laughs> but, he's never really played on the one time he played consistently consistently on the top unit. He was playing in Kucherov's spot, so not net front. And I think he's more likely to flank either side. So I, okay, I don't know if he could, but he hasn't. Yeah, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe there is more upside there. I also took a little bit of pain when you said that he'll be on the top line with Hughes and Brat, just because I don't know why I just kind of like Sharon Govich. Oh, like, me I feel too. Like, I, it's it's yeah. not a guarantee that was like the best case scenario so like yeah. yeah if he does end up on a line with say his year and Mercer I mean Mercer doesn't shoot a ton his year doesn't either so maybe Palat could take a couple more but again I'm not I'm gonna wait to see how that shakes out but I think Elon I think we might have found our guy who could have more value in his new home than he did in his last one. Nah, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> he could, but I'm still more excited about Brimper. I mean, you remember <laughs> okay. how high it was on Tomas Tatar last year, so I should oh, I should learn my lesson from that, right? I'm not going to get excited about a New Jersey Devil. I'm not going to get excited about a New Jersey <laughs> Devil. Well, here's the thing. Like, I think the Devils, I'm not worried about them scoring goals, right? Like, I'm hoping they're bringing Palat in to help them, like, you know, just be a good two-way player, you know, and, like, leadership and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, I feel like leave the scoring to Hughes, Brat, Heesher, Mercer, Sharon Govich, you know. 
and uh, maybe like Holtz one day. Anyway, that's my opinion. But they're a very exciting team, right? With the, with these defensemen coming up, Nemec and Luke Hughes with Hamilton, Severson, Graves. I think John Marino, who we didn't really talk about, like he's a good two-way player. Like Ty Smith, they didn't need it. Like Ty Smith is like not amazing defensively, but like a high upside, uh, you know, potential power play quarterback. But obviously, they don't need him. Uh, so I think that, uh, I like the moves. Obviously, the goalie tandem is a risk, but I don't know, not that much more risky than Toronto's goalie tandem, right? So okay. Anyways, so speaking of Ty Smith, let's go to his new home in Pittsburgh. Uh, not to really talk too much about Ty. Smith. I guess we can talk about it for a second, but obviously the biggest moves they made were three big contract extensions. So here's a team where they didn't actually change much, but they kept the group together for many more years now. They extended Latang six years, 6.1 mil. Uh, they extended Malkin, also 6.1 mil for four years. They extended Ricard Raquel, six years, 5 million. So uh, I don't know. Here, Brian, I'll throw you a question for each of them, then you can answer whichever ones you want. Latang, did we talk enough about Latang's 68 points in 78 games last season? Uh, he was really awesome and i feel like we barely discussed him and remember he used to be a guy you'd always be worried about drafting because of injuries he's had a couple years in a row now just solid putting up tons of points do we have a big reason to expect him to fall off or do you think he'll just do this again next year uh, malkin still like we're doing our patron rankings right every single day what number did we do we're in like the late 40s i think at this point um where are we here thanks so much by the way to andrea and joel for keeping this going yeah today was vote 46 still no mention of malkin not a single vote and he's a guy who's been like above point per game basically every year of his career including last year 42 points in 41 games obviously the big concern is he's injured all the time but he's healthy now as far as i know so maybe people are sleeping on this guy and he's someone who would be a great value pick if you're getting him like the fifth round of your fantasy draft so there's a question to you. Are we sleeping on Malkin? And let me throw you a question about Ricard Raquel, who had that 69-point breakout in 2017-18 with the Ducks. Since then, he's just been like a blah 50-ish point guy. I've always thought he had more to give. He went to Pittsburgh, kind of boring, like 13 points in 19 games. Though, like, if you look at his game log, all of those points are basically in multi-point games. Like, he was either putting up a zero-point game or a multi-point game in those 19 games before the playoffs. He played a lot with Gensel and Crosby. So if he lands in a spot like that, that'd be pretty sweet. Here, here's my question for Raquel for you. You, okay Raquel or Brian Rust who do you like better for next year because Rust obviously was better last year and it's been better for a while like 58 points in 60 games last season but if you look at those last 19 games after Raquel joined the team Rust only had 10 points to end the season in 19 games Raquel had 13 so I don't know it's okay so to recap Latang, can you do it again Malkin are we sleeping on him Raquel how does he compare to Brian Rust go okay Latang, we can I think we can expect the same from him. He basically did what he's done for most of the last 10 years, which is play really well. The one thing that Latang did differently last year compared to all the others is he played 78 games. Uh he last played like his his high before that in the last well, actually that's the second highest total in Latang's career for games played. So that's what he did differently. He played in all the games or almost all the games to put up a 71 point pace. Years prior, he had a 67 point pace. He had a 71 point pace. He had a 68 point pace, but he played, uh, 55, 65, 40 games in each of those seasons. So you didn't feel it, but you felt it with Chris Latang this year. So whether you're going to take a chance on that, uh, on him being healthy again, uh, go for it. The last time he was this healthy, Latang played 79 games and followed that up with three incomplete seasons. One, of course, COVID affected, but he still missed time in that COVID shortened season. Uh, then Evgeny Malkin. Yeah, I think every year people sleep on Evgeny Malkin. 
I, I don't know what to say. I mean, he's also someone who's incredibly unreliable because of all the time he misses. And I think there was one year, if I'm remembering right, where he was just, his status was never clear. And it was messing up with like where you could put him on your roster and whether to expect him to actually play on a given night. So I, I think there's been a lot of cloudiness around his status. I mean, the guy's played only 77 games over his last two seasons. So that's enough to put a dent in his value for sure. Uh, but I'm trying to see who the latest forwards taken were in our, uh, we have, uh, yeah, Max Pacioretty, Vladimir Tarasenko, Leas Pedersen have been the most recent forwards taken. I think that's around where I take Malkin. Like I see we have votes for Svechnikov and Lindholm and Fiala and Ehlers. I think, I mean, it's all about risk reward with Malkin. This is, it's the same story as always. The guy's still capable. He's entering his age 36 season. So I actually don't know. This guy's been so unhealthy for most of his career. It's hard to know if he's going to be impacted further by age, you've got to think the mileage hurts. And so that's a reason to, yeah, think of him as a point-per-game player who's only going to help you in half the weeks. Uh, so that's that's the caveat on Malkin and the reason why. I'd, I wouldn't say you're sleeping on Malkin for not having him in your top 50 players to draft, but you should at least be thinking about him. Like, he should be in your queue, ready to click, when you're seeing that there's nobody else with his kind of upside, if he does play 70 games somehow. And then Ricard Raquel versus Brian Russ, that is the big question. And I think I'm not going to have much of an answer for you, Elon, until training camp. This is a, I'm not going to try and predict it. But of course, the guy who plays with Crosby and Gensel, in the money. The guy who plays away from them, screwed. And I'm not going to want to jump on either of these guys without having some kind of assurance that they are going to get that top-end deployment. So, uh, yeah, I am not rushing out to grab either of these guys unless I have some kind of clarity that they're going to be playing. And even then, I know how much that blender goes in Pittsburgh on Crosby's wing, and I'm not (laughs) excited to participate in that. So I would actually avoid both Raquel and Russ, as great as I believe they both can be. Like, I loved the Raquel acquisition at the deadline for Pittsburgh. I'm so happy they've kept him. I think he's a really good piece to play with Crosby and Gensel. I'm just not sure he's going to spend a lot of time there. Yeah, so, well, I mean, in the worst case, maybe he plays with Malkin on the second line, which is still pretty good, but for the games that Malkin is healthy. But yeah, I think basically the answer there is like, don't draft Rust based on his total points from last year, because there's some risk there. Let someone else take Rust, and then maybe you could get Raquel like a few rounds later when you're not taking as big of a risk, and you might even get the next Brian Rust. (laughs) So that would be the hope. And if you don't, if he turns out not to be as good, you didn't use a high pick on him. Anyways, I'm not even done with Pittsburgh, right? So I told you they traded John Marino for Ty Smith. They also traded Mike Matheson and a fourth for Jeff Petrie and Ryan Paling to the Habs. So Ty Smith is in. Jeff Petrie is in. I don't know. It's been so long since there's been like a second fantasy relevant defenseman in Pittsburgh outside of Latang. Like there was like some times when Latang would be injured and Justin Schultz would be worth rostering, but that's pretty much it. So I don't know. Are you into like a, I feel like if Latang gets injured, it'll be a fun discussion on the podcast of like, is it Ty Smith or Jeff Petrie jumping up on the top power play? Uh, I guess I'd be more like, I think probably the second, well, I think for sure, actually the second penguin defenseman I draft is Jeff Petrie. Maybe he is someone I'll draft. I think he takes a huge hit, right? Like from Montreal, he was finally, 
finally turning, you know, after being so terrible, this is we talked about in that recent episode where we were talking about all the biggest surprises and Petrie was both a big surprise in being so terrible to start the year. And then he was a huge surprise in how much he turned things around when Martin St. Louis took over. And I would have been excited to get Petrie late in drafts, but a lot like Anton Forsberg, I feel like this really, you know, clips his wings off. And now he's like a depth guy that maybe I'll grab late because he's good for peripherals and maybe we'll play some minutes. But obviously there's no chance he's getting significant power play time. And I don't even know how many points because who else on Pittsburgh ever gets a lot of even strength points as a defenseman that's not Latang. Exactly, which is why I'm not ascribing much fancy value to either of these guys. Uh, if Latang gets injured, let's talk. Until then, no thanks. Okay, what's next here? Okay, how about quickly Mike Matheson? We, we have a lot to go. Okay, we're going to have to do another episode for sure because uh, I don't think we're going to get through everything properly. I'll quickly, since I brought up Mike Matheson being traded to the Habs, okay, this is a different story now, right? Like, Petrie's gone. Like, who is there? Who's the top power play defenseman? Maybe Mike Matheson gets the Like, last year was Chris Weidman who was in that job, was totally, like, useless for fantasy, got a power play assist every once in a while. That was the only stat he would ever rack up. Uh, meanwhile, Matheson, 31 points in 74 games with the Pens last year, but he only played 18 minutes and 48 seconds per game on average. Got to imagine Matheson's going to be seeing a lot more ice time with the Habs. Like, good luck naming what, two more Habs defensemen next year? Like, Romanov's gone to the Islanders, like we talked about last week. So, they're like, I feel like Matheson, it's his job to, if he wants it, he could play all the minutes and he could probably get top power play if he earns it. I guess the question is, can he earn it? Like, everyone talks about how he had a pretty solid season with Pittsburgh last year. Maybe not to justify that big contract, but I don't know. He's someone that I'm kind of interested. I don't know if I'm like ready right now to say, like, go for sure, grab Mike Matheson as a sleeper for next year, but he's a name I'll be de- watching closely in training camp to see what kind of deployment he's getting. I will say that if you look at shot generation per 60 minutes on the power play, and Mike Matson didn't have a ton of minutes, but he was a reasonably big shooter. He was a top 20 shooter amongst defensemen. Now, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, The list has a lot of quality players on it, but it's also got a lot of questionable players. Like Dylan Coughlin is is up at the top, uh, leading in shots per 60, and we know he wasn't terribly fancy relevant for most of the year. You've also got guys like Colin Miller in the top 20 and Matt Dumba, but it's a sign. It's something that Mike Matson knows how to get the puck on net with the man advantage, and I think that is something worth like considering in terms of fantasy value. So uh, I'll be watching. I don't think the Montreal power play is going to be a place to, you know, really load up. You've got Suzuki, of course. You've got Caulfield. You've got Hoffman. Uh, It's going to be a place where, yeah, you could pick up a few points, but at five on five, I don't think you're doing a whole lot. Like Matheson is going to be so fancy relevant. He's not someone I think I need to take. uh, If I'm looking for a power play quarterback flyer as my third or fourth defenseman very late in my draft, Yeah, maybe my fourth defenseman and not my third. I'll look at Mike Matheson then. But uh, even if he is the top power play in Montreal, we're not sure how long it'll last. We've never really seen him in the role. But there is a reason to think that he might be capable of playing it, which is uh, more than we can say about Chris Weidman, right? From what we've seen from Weidman, who didn't do anything with the role. So it'd be nice if uh, if they tried someone new to give us all all us fancy managers a, a chance to have one more uh, relevant defenseman in the player pool. Well, yeah, and hey, Petrie did really well last year at the end, even not on the top power play. So, like, I think with all the minutes that I'm expecting Matheson to get, 
if I was doing a mock draft right now with no information, like I'm not leaving him undrafted. Like again, I'm not like taking a swing on him, but like before this trade, I wouldn't even considered Mike Matheson <laughs> in any mock draft. And now, yeah, I'm going to take a flyer on this guy as yeah, like like you said, like a fourth defenseman, and who knows, maybe he'll end up being worth rostering all season long. So okay, Brian, it's uh, we're done with another hour here, and so we're going to have to uh, end this show. Part two is going to have to come to an end while we've still left some pretty big names not discussed. So here's a preview for part three. We haven't yet talked about Edmonton and how they signed Jack Campbell and they extended Devander Kane. Detroit got Perron, Cop, Kubalik, Sherrod, Huso. So Detroit, big change. We're going to have a lot of fun talking about Detroit. Very sorry, Shams, that he didn't, uh, uh, they didn't come up yet today. The Rangers signed Trocek. That's big. Seattle got uh, Burakovsky. We'll discuss if that's something worth knowing. Uh, Dallas signed Mason Marchmid, who had that great year. Uh, I, Vancouver, we brought up Mikhaev. Anaheim signed Frank Vetrano and Ryan Strom. Chicago signed Domi and Athanasiu. So I think all of these things are worth discussing. So uh, stay tuned for part three. But in the meantime, hope you enjoyed listening to these first two parts of us breaking down the free agents. We'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you think of the shows. We, we really love feedback. So you could tweet at us at Keeping Carlson or hit us up in the episode discussion channel on Discord. And uh, yeah, like let us know what you thought of our takes. If you think we got anything really wrong. If you think there's someone who increased their value more than Brent Burns or who was Brian's pick again? Andre Palat. Andre Palat during this past couple weeks. Um, But uh, with that, Brian, yeah. Oh, well, oh yeah. Like we had our little lame attempt in the last episode of asking people to leave us a five-star review. So yeah, if you want to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'd appreciate it. Uh, If you want to come join our patron community, uh, it's always fun to make new friends. So come to keepingcarlson.com slash patron for more information. But with that, let's cue the outro music. And Brian, why don't you go, go ahead and read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keep Me Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and powered by our patrons, including our super supporters, Patty, Rob, David, Derek, Tom, Andrea, Flash, and Tyler. Thank you to Shams for being here in the chat with us for the entire time and for keeping the amazing stream of fantasy news rolling on all of our essential fantasy hockey Twitter accounts. Find them at gamedaytweets.com. To be fair, he hasn't been doing too many starting goalie or line combo tweets lately. So, Shams, can you, if you could pick that up, that would be nice. The news is there, but the other two are kind of lacking. Okay, very funny. Uh, you can also follow Ben and Lewis at ShortshiftsKK. I think they're tweeting sporadically through the offseason. And uh, also want to thank again Andrea and Joel, amazing members of our patron community who are running the patron rankings on Discord. Logo art by BrandonWeed.com. Outro music from Pat Roach. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Statric, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Reference, Hockey Viz, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, and NBC Sports Edge. All right. Great job as always, Brian. This has been such a blast. Thanks, everyone, again for listening. Hope you enjoyed these first two parts. And Brian, what should we all do while we eagerly anticipate all the buckets of cold water that you're going to pour on the remaining uh, players who signed as UFAs? What should we do while we wait for that exciting time? As cold as I may appear, Elon, I actually have a lot of warmth to give, and I invite everyone to show your warmth, too, to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone.